Praise God. Amen. As I mentioned, it was, uh, good. it's good to have Pastor Impaglia uh, close by. And uh, we prayed again last week. We've been praying for them for a long time that the Lord would just open up a way, open, open up an avenue. And of course, I suppose a little bit of me has been somewhat selfish because I love having them close by once again. But uh, and I like to, you know, I like to have him come and preach and, and uh, minister to us. And that's exactly what he's going to do right now. I want you to just take out your Bibles, open up your heart uh, as our brother comes to deliver the word. Amen. And it's always good to be close by to be able to see the family. But uh, I am just so tremendously blessed and happy this morning to see Sister Manuela. Uh, she made my day. <clears throat> she played an integral part in the growth of this work, her spirit of prayer, her cooperation in so many areas, and um, left her mark, left her mark beyond any shadow of a doubt. And then to see my brother Gabe, I can go to heaven now. I can go, I can go to heaven now. Uh, when, when Pastor Lawrence mentioned that today is... Jamie's birthday, boy, we're at the hospital when she was born, uh, and then, you know, something I, I'm doing lately, which I said I'll never do, is aging myself, to think that Jamie is nine years old, and Kelly is going to be 21, and little Aaron is going to be three, and Luke's going to be five, and Jamie is seven. And Riley is four. I'm confused already. I got, the, I got the years wrong? No. What did I say she was? I meant, I, meant, I meant Emily. Emily, Emily. I had the year right, the name wrong. And, 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 and Sophie's going to be 13. And I'm going to be 69. And my wife is 38. And it's good to be in the house of the Lord. <clears throat> From time to time, I enjoy going to the dictionary, looking up old words that I know, just to refresh my memory and also to see their origin. It tells you a lot about words. And from time to time, I enjoy looking up new words that I've never used and have never heard. And after I look up the new words, I probably won't ever use them because... I don't have that kind of brain to remember. But the other day, <clears throat> where we live, it's an area that is prone to tornadoes. And there are sirens that go off whenever those in charge of weather feel we're in danger of a tornado. And the three grandkids with whom we live, that's Aaron and Luke and Emily, they are terrified of the very word tornado. You can't even joke about it. You can't even play around with that because they think it's imminent. The other night, they all went to sleep. They were all asleep. But you could sense that the atmosphere was so thick and heavy. And ah, about 10 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, something like that, the sirens went off. And the thing is, when that happens, down to the basement. So there, everybody was huddled in the basement. Poor Emily was terrified, just terrified. 
Aaron was asleep, Luke was in la-la land, and I noticed something, what this warning of a storm did. It brought us all together. It brought us all together to comfort one another. What did Grandpa do? He went out on the porch and sat there, looking up and saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. And Emily was just, Papa, Papa, there's a tornado. Now, Aaron can't say the word tornado. He says it's a tomato. (laughs) It's a tomato. And so uh, it never happened. But the thing of it is, I, I went to the dictionary and looked up the word storm. S-T-O-R-M, storm. You know what a storm is? We had one yesterday. Last week on the way home, we got around Woodfield Mall and all the heavens opened up. I said to my wife, boy, we need an ark, not a car. And it just, boom. And the word storm basically means a disturbance in the atmosphere caused by Heavy winds and or heavy rains. Simple. So I ask a question this morning. What good are storms? Now, let's forget for a moment the storms that, like we had yesterday, the hail, the wind, the rain, and all. I'm not talking about that. What good are storms in our lives? Now, we face them. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you have a Ph.D. in macaroni. I don't care if you own a company that makes $7 billion a year or you're just a beautiful housewife taking care of children. We all have storms. Every human being that I've ever met, from government officials, politicians, down to young children, we all have storms. Now, you can't avoid them. And wait till you hear this next statement. Neither should you. Because storms play an important role in the growth of our lives in Christ. Now, everybody in this world has storms. What we do with them determines how we come out from them. I am so proud, and I'm not endorsing any politician with this next little phrase of what Governor Rick Perry did. He called a day of prayer. Why? Because the storms that are over this nation require that the people of this nation fall on their knees and begin to pray. He invited every governor in America. He invited the president, the vice president, the cabinet, and all the congressmen and senators to come and join with him in Reliance Stadium for a day of prayer. I don't know who went outside of Senator Brownback from Kansas, who was a committed Christian, but I began to look on the Internet and see and hear people by the thousands with their hands in the air. You didn't know what denomination they were from. They were praying, and a thousand churches nationwide joined in live stream, the amazing technology that we have. So across America, who knows how many, and guess what? Who cares? 
They did what you're supposed to do when a storm comes. Seek refuge. And they sought refuge in Christ and began to pray. And when I began to hear Governor Perry pray and the scriptures that he chose, I said, Lord, he's a godly man. Whatever you have for his life, it doesn't matter. Right now, he called this nation to prayer. Now, don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, God, would you please send me a storm? I assure you that is one thing you will never have to pray for. They come on their own. And sometimes like bananas in bunches. But there is something we need to understand about storms. God is the only one who can allow them to come into our lives. Satan cannot come against you when he wishes and throw a storm at you. Whoa, 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 whoa. What did he do to Job? He had God's permission, but he couldn't do it simply because he wanted to torment Job. He had to ask God, and God said, go for it, but you can't touch his life. In other words, Satan has power, but he's got limitations because God sets the parameters. But every single storm, and I say it emphatically, every single storm serves a purpose. And that's what we want to look at this morning. But here's one of the major problems we face when storms come. All of a sudden, we begin to think, God is angry at me. He's getting even for some mistake I made or some sin I committed. God is angry at me now because he's up there and I'm down here. He's going to let me have it. False. That is not true. God does not torture those for whom his son died on the cross of Calvary. And in parenthesis, remember this statement. You can always trust the one who died for you. He will never turn his back on you. He will never take his favor from you, and he will never stop loving you. Never. Why? Because God is love. And everything that God does in us, through us, for us, is always and only motivated by love. Because he loves us so much, sometimes he has to allow storms which serve a divine purpose to come into our lives. We need to be careful to not listen to the devil who will whisper in the back of our ear, you see, he doesn't love you like he says he does. If he loved you like he says he does, why would he allow this to happen and that to happen? It's like these people who don't know God and say, if there was a God in heaven, there wouldn't be the riots and the crime and the nonsense we listen there is a God in heaven who gave you and I a free will to make choices. And what happens in this world is a result of choices that people make. Oh, but as usual, we want to pass the buck. We want to do what we want, but we don't want to pay the consequences of our choices. Listen, honey, I don't care how you live, what you do, what you say. There are consequences of your choices. And you have to confront it whether you like it or not. And please. Don't play that childish game if there was a God in heaven. Because there is a God in heaven, you're still around making choices. 
and he's giving you an opportunity to begin to make the right choices. We need to change our perspective of God. Romans 12, 2, if you want to turn, there are several scriptures. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I like this version of it in this sense. The Bible, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, Romans 12, chapter, verse 2. He said, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Isn't that amazing? Let God, you don't transform yourself, God transform you into a new person. How? Now, many people think becoming a new person is dropping 60 pounds. Well, that would make me a new person. There's no doubt about that. That, that really would. But th that isn't the new person God is referring to here. Make you a new person by changing the way you think, especially about him. When that begins to happen, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And, and, and perfect. God is love. How many of you believe that with all your heart, soul, and mind? God is love. Don't ever let that thought dissipate regardless of what comes your way. God is love. He, everything he allows, everything he brings, everything he sends is motivated by love and is designed to fulfill his purpose in our lives. Now listen, storms will always serve as an opportunity for greater blessing. Obviously, in the storm, you say, what good comes out of this? And I'm not going to mention storms we go through because you know what you go through. You know what you've gone through. You don't know what you're going to go through. But let me tell you, tomorrow, the next day, next week, there'll be a storm waiting for you. But when it approaches and you're in the middle of it, say, Lord, I'm in your hands there's a good purpose that will come out of this because you won't allow anything to come my way, but it won't be for my good, for your name's sake. Turn with me in your Bibles <clears throat> to the book of Job. If anybody understood about storms, it was this man, Job. The ninth chapter, it seems you've read Job before because everybody said, oh, yeah, we know all about Job and what he went through. Chapter 9, let's look at verses 13 to 18. And this is Job speaking. Though I were innocent, I could not answer him, that is God. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. Even if I summoned him and he responded, I do not believe he would give me a hearing. You hear what Job is saying? I could talk to God and plead, but will he listen to me? He would crush me with what? With a storm. Verse 17, he would crush me with a storm and multiply my wounds for no reason. He would not let me regain my breath, but would overwhelm me with misery. Job had a perspective of God that was not quite right. But you could say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. 
If you look at the preceding chapters, all that Job went through, he lost his property, lost his possessions, lost his belonging, lost his children, and in a sense lost his wife. He lost his health, lost his standing, lost everything. There wasn't much more this man could lose except his life. So you might say he had a reason to talk like this, but yet he was wrong. Now, how many times you and I in the midst of storms have said, why is God doing this to me? Why bother talking to him? If he's allowing this to happen, maybe he doesn't love me the way he says he does. Growing up in the home that I grew up in, I was raised by my grandparents. Mom was always working two jobs, two and a half jobs, whatever. And my grandparents... Uh, would have never made it in today's day and age. Their sense of discipline was not one, two, three, go to your room. Their sense of discipline was what? Bang! And they didn't even say what sometimes. They just went bang. I remember once when I started to grow up and thought that I could get it over my grandmother, I spit on the ground as if to say I'm spitting at you. She didn't say a word. I thought I got away with it, but she was old and wrinkled, too wrinkled shy of a prune. I figured I could be, outbeat Grandma. I could run. I, 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 grandma can't get me. Grandma never learned how to speak English, never learned how to read, but she had common sense like only she could have. She didn't react. She didn't smile. She didn't say one word. I said, oh, I got away with this one big time. I just sat down at the table, continued eating. Grandma sat down. She ate. Grandpa sat down. He ate. Nobody said one word. And I got more cocky and more confident because I spit on the ground in front of grandma, and she did nothing. Then the storm came. <laughs> Took a plate to the sink, did something in the pot on the stove, went to the drawer where she had this massive oak spoon she brought over from Sicily. It had to weigh at least a pound and a half, two pounds. I didn't see this until too late. Came around, <clears throat> grabbed me by the hair, whack, 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 and not on my backside. Right here. Cruel, inhuman. It was a Friday, and I'll tell you why I remember. Every Friday, her oldest son would come from work and visit. Walked into the house, saw my face, my lips, and said, good. Didn't ask what happened because he knew. I must have said something. I must have done something. And Grandma, the storm, came at me with everything. I sat in absolute quiet. My mother came home from work. She looked at me said, at it again, huh? <laughs> Never yelled at her mother for disciplining me. On the contrary, you deserve it. Good. Now you know why I am the way I am. 
See, Gabriel met my mother, but by then she was calm. Had he met her 20 years ago, <laughs> that guy would have been trimmed to sight in two-second flat. He'd be singing Tweety Bird for Grandma. And it was those storms that put some character into me. Now, God doesn't work like that. But he does call our attention. And Job had to go through this because there was something in his view of God that was missing. And that was the mercy and the grace and the love of God. How could anyone who knows of the love of God say, he doesn't give me a chance to regain my breath? It's like children floundering in the waves of the ocean. Uh, 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 uh. One wave after another, you don't get a chance to breathe. If you've never been to the ocean, you don't know what swimming is especially after a storm. And this is what Job thought about God. Many times Christians have the tendency to think this way about God. God is somewhat cruel because he doesn't give me a break. And yet there's a reason for the storm. I repeat, God had already, uh, Job had already gone through so much, more than most humans that I've ever met, and yet, God had to send this storm because he needed to teach Job something. If you look in chapter 37 of the book of Job, you don't have to turn now. I'm just going to make reference to it. Verses 1 through 4. One of Job's friends, Elihu, begins to talk about God to Job. Now, what Elihu said is nothing wrong with what he's saying, but it was missing something. It was all about God. And after Job listens to Elihu, after Elihu says all that he wants to say, all of a sudden Job begins to speak. And now God talks to Job, and Job responds like this. Who is, uh, God says to Job, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? God now is saying, Job, in so many words, Elihu doesn't know what he's talking about because that's not me. That's not me. That's a perception he has about me. He's talking about me, but that really isn't me. God begins to talk to Job out of the storm, and he begins to reveal himself in the storm in a way that Job did not no. All of a sudden, Job now has a personal revelation of God. One of the great purposes of storms is that we can have a fresh understanding of who God is. Not more accumulated, accumulated knowledge about God. That's what books are all about. Books can't teach you God. They could teach you about him. Only God himself can come and turn the light on and say, this is what I'm really all about. If You go to Job 42, and this I want you to see with me so that it can enter both the ear gate and the eye gate. And in verse 2, look at what Job replies after God spoke to him through those chapters preceding. I know that you can do all things, no plan of yours, Maybe thwarted. You asked, who is this 
that obscures my counsel without knowledge. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful to me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. But look at this. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. It took Job 42 chapters of storm to begin to say, now my eyes have seen you. Oh God, give me perception in the storm so that I can see you as you are and not rely on what others tell me about you. Storms. Now, Job confesses, repents. He begins to understand things he didn't know before. But you know what is wrong with us many times? We want God to speak to us only in the sunshine. Only when we're sipping lemonade under a palm tree and the waves are lapping at our feet on a beautiful beach in the Philippine Islands, some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. We want God to come and fan us so that the flies don't bother us and the, the mosquitoes don't nip at us. We want it all cool, calm, and collected. Guess what? You'll never hear God there. We're too comfortable. Who needs to listen to God at that time? When all goes well in the house, come on now, who really gets down and prays? When you're getting a raise on the job and you got a better position and all oh, your coworkers really like you, both to your face and even behind your back, who needs to pray? You come to church and you're considered one of the prima donnas and the, or the great ones in the church, who needs to pray? Let a storm arise. Let the kids go south on you. Let the dog pee all over the house on your brand new rug. Let him start scratching your brand new furniture. Let somebody on the job slip a note under the supervisor. You hear about that one, what they did, and you never did anything wrong, but you got the blame. And all of a sudden, your salary increase goes nowhere because somebody just scratched a brand new car and burned out the transmission, and now you got to replace it and repair it. And then the kids bring you all kinds of stories. Isn't it amazing how we begin to pray when the storms come? I, I know this about me. I'm not going to say anything about you. Not only do those storms affect me, but the storms that other people go through tend to affect me, especially the storms my children go through. When I see that there's this or that or the other, I cringe. And forget the children. They're all grown up. But when I know that they're the little storms that my grandchildren face, get away from me. I say, God, why? Let it come to me. Don't let them go. But they got to grow. So many times, storms come to bring a fresh revelation of God. A fresh revelation of God. Now, it says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23, he calls to us in the storms. He speaks to us in the storms. But here's the problem. We've got to make a choice. Do we listen or do we turn a deaf ear? Do we listen or we do reject. Don't blame God until first you come to this honest, honest 
statement. He did speak, but I chose not to listen. So then what do you want? So then what do you want? Oh, the teacher was unfair. She gave me a 40 on the test. Did she tell you what to study? Yes, of course she told me what to Did you study? No. So why is she unfair? Because you got to blame somebody. And she's the easy target. Well, God is mean. He, he, he don't like me no more. Why? Well, I, 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 I asked him in prayer for this and that. Did you obey what he told you to do? Well, not really. Well, well, then don't, you know, be a man, be a woman. Don't blame God. It's like many people go for counsel on issues of life. They hear godly counsel backed up by the word of God, and, and, and the word of God through the leadership of the church tells them, do this, do that, do that, do this, don't do that, don't do this, and they do the very opposite. Then they get mad at the church because things don't turn out right. You know what? Give me a break. Give me a break. I often have said it. Don't come to us for counseling if you're not willing to obey what is said to you. Any godly man is not going to tell you to jump off the roof if you want to know God. He's going to say, get down on your knees and seek his face. Many storms can be avoided if we would simply obey God when he speaks. The choice is ours. The choice is ours. But too many times we're so busy complaining and so busy griping and so busy grumbling, we can't even hear God speaking. God will speak to anyone who will take the time to listen. We might not like everything he says, but we know that his words, it's as the disciples said, where are we going to go? Only you have words of life. And that's why people church hop. They want to find the right preacher, the right tone, the right sound, so that when they go to church, they're not offended. And guess what? Find that church. They're all over the place. Neither will you grow. Neither will you grow. No pain, no gain. Doesn't mean we need to find the church where all they do is browbeat you. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But we need the whole counsel of God. Do you know that there are ministers and churches who will never touch the theme of sin? Because they don't want to offend people. So let them go to hell, right? You've got to preach the theme of sin. But you've also got to preach the theme of repentance and forgiveness and the grace of God which will save us from sin. I don't want anybody to go to hell. And there are those nincompoops who say, well, if God was such a God of love, he wouldn't send people to hell. He doesn't. People go to hell because they choose to go to hell. Not because they've sinned, because there's a remedy for sin, the cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus. He died on that cross to set us free from sin. But it's when we reject his love, we make our bed in hell. And many live in hell before they get to the real hell. But God's amazing grace will overcome any sin. Where sin did abound, God's grace doth much more abound. We know that out of experience. Yeah, but how many times can I come back as often as you've got the strength and the grace of mind to say, Lord, I sinned, forgive me again and again and again and again. Until finally it sticks. So, the storm. Do you remember the disciples? What a bunch of characters. What they must have felt like walking with Jesus. We walk with the Lord. It's like the people, the groupies are now around 
Rahm Emanuel, they feel extra special because they now go along with Manny Boy. And those who are rubbing shoulders with Rick Perry or with Sarah Palin or, or with Michelle Bachman, and those who play hoops with, 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 with Barack Obama, they feel extra special. How come nobody feels special around me? I want to know that. I want to know why. And then one day, Jesus said to the disciples, get in the boat. We're going to get, oh, sure. Now, how many of you know when you walk with Jesus, all goes well, there's never a problem? Right? So they get in the boat. What does Jesus do? Falls asleep. Now, I would rather be in a boat with Jesus sleeping than be in a boat with nobody else. What happens? A storm. A storm. Now, just before they got in the boat, they saw miracles. They saw Jesus did, do things that no human being could even think of doing. It's not that they were uh, unaware of his powers, but he's asleep. And they begin to cry out, Jesus, save us! A storm. Well, at least they went to Jesus. I got to give them that much. Don't you think for an instant that Jesus knew there was going to be a storm? That's why he said, let's get in the boat. We got something to do. He knew there was, he could have said, you know what, guys, let's stay on dry land. There's a storm coming. But Jesus guided them right into it. It's like these tornado chases. They run after tornadoes. They're lunatics. Tornado could turn around and say, gotcha. You don't run into a storm. You try to run away from a storm. When we were returning from upstate New York recently, we stopped in Erie, Pennsylvania to gas up, and there was these two, this, this couple, an older couple, with motorcycles. And the guy was on the phone, and he was soaking wet. We had come through the storm, and there was still rain. He said, oh, for the most part of the trip, we beat out the storm, and we're trying to beat it out. And then all of a sudden came from an angle we never expected, and we got soaking wet. We don't know what to do now. It's southerners, I think, you know. And, and they're just going to have to find a place to change, and then I, I don't know. It might be, and then all, not, not, not. <laughs> Listen, don't outsmart God. You want to go east, he's got a storm coming there too. Go west, he's got one there. He's got them all over the place. When he wants to talk to you, he wants to talk to you. And now we find Jesus Having them in the... Why did he do that? Was he going to reveal something about himself to them? Oh, no. This time, here was the purpose of the storm. He was going to reveal something to them about themselves. You see, sometimes the only way God can show us us is in a storm. Help us. Help us, Jesus. Well, of course. So what does Jesus say to them? He, he, he says these simple words, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He didn't say, where's your courage? He said, what kind of men are you? Fishermen, you know what storms are about. You of little faith. He wasn't rebuking them for the fear because fear is a very natural emotion. The sin in this case was the lack of faith. Does not the Bible say whatsoever is not of faith is sin? 
So there are storms that come to expose sin. Do you know that there are people who make a profession of trying to hide their sin? And they do pretty good. I remember when I met my wife, she was raised in this perfect Christian home. Nobody ever did anything wrong. They were all so nice and kind. And when we started dating and I got a little more confident, I said, look, I'll teach you how to lie. I'll teach you how to steal. I have experience. I was raised in Brooklyn, New York. I'll teach you all these things. I know how to get in a car. I don't need keys. I remember once we were up at a convention up in the north, and we were staying at my brother-in-law's house, the pastor, about six, seven pastors all in the house, and they all had their cars, and mine was the first car in and about six or seven cars behind us. The next morning, we wanted to get up early and get on the road, but I needed to get an oil change. I couldn't wake people up at 6 o'clock in the morning. The mechanic was going to be there at 6.30. He said, look, you come here at 6.30. I'll change your oil, and this way you get on the road. And the night before, I, I had said to everybody, look, just leave the car doors open, leave the keys. And I, but nobody did that. I said, really? I said, watch what I'm going to do. I opened every car, moved every car. Mine was the first one in and had six cars behind me. Went and got the oil change, came back. And everybody's in a tither. How'd you do it? I said, I'm from Brooklyn. That's how I did it. So I said to my wife, look, stick with me. I'll teach you. She learned. She, she, don't leave. Watch your car out there. She learned. The sin many times is exposed in the storm. Why does God expose sin? For one reason only, to forgive it, if we repent of it. You think God is out to shame us? No way. No way. I know that I've experienced more times than I could even dare think. God does not shame people. He forgives people because in his love, do you remember the woman who was caught in adultery? She was caught, not accused, she was caught. And they flung her at Jesus' feet and said, what does the law of Moses say? What are you going to do about this? She broke the Jesus knew she broke the law, and he knew what the, the, the sentence was. But Jesus all wise says, yeah, anyone here without sin, pick up the stone and cast it. They all began to drop their rocks and moved away. He didn't shame her. He said, what in the world's wrong with you, woman? Don't you know how to live a decent life? He simply said, look, I'm not going to condemn you. All I'm saying is, just don't go sin anymore. Isn't that the love of God? But that woman had to face a storm of an angry mob. Oh, listen, hold on a minute. We're going to rejoice in something, but not what we're thinking. Just because God forgives and he doesn't shame us doesn't give us license to go out and make it worse. He does it so that we draw closer to him and do our best in his grace not to sin anymore. The Lord knew what the disciples were going to face in the coming days. He had to teach them. He had to strengthen them. But he had to expose to them their lack of faith. In this world, you cannot live for God without faith because we need faith to please God. 
Too many times we get this thought in our minds, which is wrong. The problem is all around me. The biggest problem is in me. Warren Wiersbe said our greatest problems are caused by what is inside of us, not what is around us. Well, I am the way I am because of that person. No, you're not. Well, I am the way I am because they don't, they, 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 they don't, they, they, they don't, and you know you want to play. No, you're not. You are what you are because of what's inside of you. People are going to hurt you. Well, pastor invites me back. I'm going to talk to you about people who will hurt you. But you have a choice. Do you let the hurt make you bitter or do you let the hurt make you better? You know what? Man up. Grow up. I think one of the greatest problems we have in the church of America today is immaturity. Grow up! Grow up! We don't know anything about suffering in this country. Not yet, anyway. We're so man be pan We've got such an effeminate gospel going around, it's disgusting. I'm not saying we need to punch each other out. No, let the world do that. But you know what? Get a little bit of tough skin. We need some calluses on our souls. Not that we become insensitive to God, but we become insensitive to the insults that are around us. Years ago, whenever something happened in the street, you went home and cried, ah, stop crying and become a man about it. Get out there and play. Today, it's a lawsuit. What have you done? We now have to have sensitivity training and diversity training and all kinds of training. And what have we got? An insane society. I'm looking to check into an insane asylum. I think it's better in there than on the outside. What did David pray? Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. When was the last time you and I prayed like that? Lord, search me. Look here on the inside. Let me know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. God loves us enough to send us plenty of storms so that we can become what he wants us to be. Vessels of honor, vessels of glory. And if he has got to send a storm to expose the sin in our lives, so be it. But once he exposes it, repent of it, and then receive the grace of God that forgives, and listen to this, and forgets. Forgives and forgets. First Peter 1, 6 through 7 said, this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Now there's a theology that's been going around for the past two decades that says, when you know God the way you should, you'll never suffer. That's a lie. That is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. Absolute lie. Paul said, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to go through various kinds of trials. He was writing to, to the Hebrews that had become Christians and were facing persecution from their own kind. He said, but guess what? These have come. What? The trials. Using today's word, these storms have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, 
glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And how many of you know the price of gold today is over $1,800 the ounce? Can you imagine if grandpa's got gold teeth when he goes to sleep, get a plier and yank it out? But your faith is worth more than gold because it will last forever and ever and ever and ever. But your faith, like gold to be purified, has to be put through fire so that the dross comes to the top. But God's storms will strengthen our faith, give us backbone to face whatever comes. So when people look at you cross-eyed, you can hug them anyway. If they say something about you, it won't matter because you've got the strength to say, guess what, I'm going on with God. Listen, I'm only halfway through. Now we got the storm that God allows to come to get us all back on track. How many of you drive a car with backseat drivers? Isn't that annoying? Isn't that absolutely annoying? I am telling you, Pastor Lawrence, you can admit it. I won't say anything to Mariella. Ooh. Isn't it absolutely annoying when somebody lets you know you're not going in the right direction and they know where they're going, but you don't want to admit that they know where they're going because you think you know where you're going. That's why we have roadmaps. Today we have Google. Don't trust that too much. Or that's why you roll down the window and say, which way? I don't know. I'm not from around here. You ever want to get directions and everybody you talk to is not from around there? But sometimes we make dumb choices in life. And we get on a road that doesn't lead to blessing, maturity, growth of character, nor prosperity. And amongst all the things that happened to me as a child, the one thing I must admit, everyone in my life, I had no father growing up. He was an alcoholic, left when I was four, died when I was eight. He wasn't around to help me or lead me or what. But all my uncles would instill in me, make right choices. They weren't Christians, but they had this common sense approach to life. You know what? Study, make right choices. Stay away from the wrong crowd. I didn't always do it, got myself into plenty of trouble, but the fact of the matter is I could never get away from the truth instilled in me. Never, 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 never. That's why the Bible says train up a child. Training isn't easy. Sometimes it means taking this and saying, take the whole thing and slap him upside the head. So what kind of pastor are you? I'll tell you what kind. Pastor on the south side, mention the name, you know who he is. I know him. A friend of mine, Pastor Paniagua, with whom we had dinner the other day, went to his church uh, a, a couple of, no, about a year or so ago with a, a friend of ours, a singer, to have a meeting. Pastor forgot that they were going to have a meeting. There was nobody there. Like when he invited me and my wife to go and preach in the church, we go there on a Sunday night, south side. My wife on the south side. Me, I got away with it. I had to put my coat over her. 
I grew up in that. It means nothing to me. We get to the church. Pastor ain't there. Deacons are not there. Nobody's there. Lights are on. Nobody home. This was not a joke. Making phone calls, banging on the doors. Nobody shows up. We left there after night. I said, you know what? Let's leave. Get some coffee. Coffee here? Hey, coffee's good. Two weeks later, I said, Pastor, what happened? Oh, I forgot you were coming. Yes. But I'll send you the offering. I don't want an offering. I wanted to be there with you. Well, I, I forgot. And then the people were tired because we had such a good service in the morning, I canceled the evening. We had enough. So my, my friend, Pastor Paniagua, was in the lobby. There was only 20 people he managed to get. And this brother that he had with him sang. He was a good singer. He's now with the Lord. And he's in the lobby. All of a sudden, from the pastor's office, he hears banging up against the wall. Bang, 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 bang. He says to the pastor's wife, what's going on? Oh, you know, that's the pastor. He, he's counseling somebody. <laughs> what do you mean he's counseling somebody? Well, you see, the mother, the mother came in and brought her teenage son. Teenage son has been going south on his mother. So the pastor is counseling him. What kind of counseling does he do? He smacks him around. He smacks him around. Pastor Pontiac was hearing this. The kid was being bounced off the wall by the pastor. And Pastor Pontiac says to his wife, he gets away with it? Oh, yeah. He gets away with it. They don't put up. He, they, they, they don't say anything to him because he's bigger than all of them. Now, God doesn't do that. Then I began to think, maybe that's a part of my ministry I missed. I should have included a little more of that. When God wants to get you on track, again, he's got ways of doing it. Jonah! I want you to go to Nineveh. Say what? Jonah, you're a prophet. I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, you've got to be pretty stupid to defy God. Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh. He had his reasons, which were all crazy and wrong. Read your Bible, you'll see it. Jonah was too comfortable doing what he was doing where he was at. He didn't want to be bothered by going to Nineveh. He didn't want to go preach the word of the Lord to Nineveh and have those people given an opportunity to, to repent and get their lives right. So what does he do? He goes to the port, buys a ticket to go to the Bahamas. Because I don't remember where the ship was going. Let's just say the Bahamas. He gets on board, falls asleep, and all of a sudden, Storm comes. Storm comes. Everybody is going absolutely berserk. But the people had enough sense to know this is not common. There's a problem here. Somebody on board is causing this. So they did what was common in those days. They drew lots. So in other words, they just rolled the dice. Whoever gets the high number is it. How come you're sleeping and we're not? I was tired. No. How come you're sleeping and we're not? 
Why are we faced with this storm? I don't know. You know when you're off track, you become dumb? You never know anything. God speak to you, huh? Did God tell you, huh? Didn't God say for you, huh? Jonah finally comes to his senses and says, yep, I'm disobedient. God wanted me to go to Nineveh. I made my own choice, and I'm the cause of this storm. They didn't have a council meeting and said, what should we do? They said, overboard, all hands on deck, over. Well, one thing is just go into the water. But God was merciful, and he had this monster fish with his jaws wide open. We don't know what kind of fish it was. We've, we've twisted theology teaching our children Jonah and the whale. What whale? That never was a whale. This wasn't the ocean. It was the sea. It was a, a, a huge lake. No whale in there. It was a fish that God prepared for the moment because he knew that Jonah was going to disobey and he knew he was going to send a storm and he knew the, the sailors were going to throw him overboard and he knew exactly, I mean, oh, oh, do you see the details? He knew exactly where Jonah was going to drop. And there was this fish. Now, I've never been inside of a fish. I've gutted them, big ones, and it isn't pretty and it doesn't smell nice, but you put your hands inside of a blue fish's stomach and you rip out all the guts and everything that's in there and everything he's been eating and all of the rest. Yucky! Well, that was his hotel for three days and three nights. He did a lot of thinking. You know why I'm here? Because I disobeyed God. He started writing a book up here. When I get out of here, I'm going to tell my grandkids, don't be idiots. Obey God when he says something. God was merciful. He could have let him drown. They could have lynched him. They could have done everything. But God said, no. No, I'm sending this storm not because I hate you, but because I love you. And I have a purpose for your life, and I want you to fulfill it. You talk about God giving a second chance. Listen, God gives more second chances than you can possibly count. Why? He loves you enough. He wants you back on track. Because he wants you to reign with him in glory and live here on this earth with his blessing. We wipe people off as soon as they make one or two mistakes. God said, wait a minute. Let's try again. Let's try again. Uh, one more time. <coughs> yeah, but God. No, no, come on, come on, come on. One more time. When the disciples wanted to get off easy, how many times should we forgive the person who has, has sinned against them? Seven times. What was it? Seven times. Help me. He said, oh, no, 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 no. 490 times in one day for the same sin. What does that teach you about God? I'm sorry. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. All right, come on. Oh, you, you, you'll pay for your consequences. You'll pay for your sin. Consequences are there. Don't get me wrong. 
Jonah paid. Three days, three nights. And Jonah now gets spit up on dry land. And what does he do? I'm ready now, Lord. He goes to Nineveh, preaches the word of God, and there's a revival. There are times that God has to allow these storms so that we do not forget that when he speaks, he means what he says, and he says what he means. And that he has a plan for us that comes from his heart to us. The psalmist said, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Oftentimes we pray, we sing, we say, oh, I want to be more like Jesus. The only way that I know is this way, by doing the will of God. For whoever does the will of my Father, Jesus said, in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. Look at the relationship Jesus makes of people who do his will. Our fathers disciplined us in Hebrews 12 for a little while as they thought best. That's what my grandmother thought. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant. No storm seems pleasant. No difficulty seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See to it, it continues there in Hebrews 12, Verse 15, that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. People, with this I've come to a close. The right response to the storm produces blessing. The wrong response to the storm produces bitterness and both responses affect everyone around us. Job responded, Job responded correctly and was tremendously blessed. Jonah responded incorrectly and it affected the rest on board. God, help us. God, help us. Just bow your heads for a moment, please. We're not going to try this morning to figure out why we're going through what we're going through. I think enough has been said so that we have food for thought for the remainder of the week. What I would say is this this morning. May God give us the grace to respond the way we should so that we can come out of the storm with our character more like Jesus. And what God wants of us this morning is not listening to another sermon. You got a great preacher in your pastor. You don't need me. But I'll do, I will say this. Before I talk to you about this this morning, I had to listen to myself. And I saw things that are not exactly pretty. But I began to see and say, Lord, how merciful you are that you didn't discard me and bypass me, but you allow certain storms to come by to get me where I belong. 
this morning, people, don't, don't begin to question God why, 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 why. Simply say, Lord, if this word was for me, and I'll tell you this much right now, it was for everyone in this room, young and old alike. And there are storms in my life. Instead of going home and complaining about them, let me simply say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I don't like when storms come. I'll be the first to admit that. I don't relish them on the horizon. But if it's for my benefit, then Lord, give me the grace to respond accordingly. But you know the most important storm this morning that I need to mention again is the one that gets us on track. Maybe you're sitting in this service this morning and you've been to church before, You've been to church a lot of times, and that might be the problem. But you've never gotten on track and stayed there the way God intended. So God has allowed storms and even allowed you to come here. You didn't know I was coming here, and I didn't know you were coming here. But God did. So if there's anyone off track, and you understand that Jesus is knocking at your heart's door, don't block him out. Don't block him out. Because when he comes in, there's blessing, there's life, there's freedom, there's grace, there's mercy, there's love. God isn't going to barge in on you and knock you down. Life has already done that. But the Bible says, Lo, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens, I will come in. I will sup with him and he will sup with me. In other words, I want to come into your life not to hurt you and knock you down and condemn you, but to have fellowship with you and bring you into a place of communion with me so that we can walk together. If you'll kindly stand with me, just keep your eyes closed for a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, this morning, I know this much. It's not my words that matter or mean anything but yours. And I pray that your blessed Holy Spirit will have found room in some heart in which to deposit the simple seed of truth. Lord, this morning you have us here for a purpose and a reason. We want to grow in grace. We want our characters forged strengthen, so that in the end, we can say with Job, though God slay me, yet I will trust him. And whatever you have allowed to come, there's a reason. Get us back on track. Get us back on track. Help us, Lord. Pastor Lawrence is going to come and finish as he sees fit this morning. Let's remain in prayer.